0: Okay, so let's get into today's show. So, a few months back, Corey Landolt was featured as the drink segment on Foodie and the Bees. Now, Corey created the cocktail program for, and was named beverage director of Capo, which is a gorgeous little gem of an omakase um, restaurant. That is a collab between Ari Wilder and Adrian Williams. Now, Corey is the bar director for Zeppelin and Capo Makoto. And what we found on Foodie and the Beast was that his knowledge of Japanese spirits and his creativity in cocktails, I was like, this guy needs to talk to me for more than 10 minutes, right? This combo is not enough. So I needed to have him join me on industry night. So here's the 411 on Corey. He's been making cocktails in DC for over 15 years. He draws on his background as a professional ballet dancer. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. He incorporates that precision and perfection in dance into each and every cocktail. He has the skills, but most importantly, he has passion. And that passion winds up in every glass. And we're gonna get into it right now. Hi.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for coming with me today. It's so nice to have you here. So. I do have to mention your ballet because mm-hmm. it's so much a part of who you are. How did you go from ballet to cocktails? Like, let's just get the Corey-like resume a little bit. I
1: uh, started dancing with the Washington Ballet at the age of 18. Mm. Um, and as we all know, artists don't really make a ton of money, especially in like DC. So I needed something to... Kind of help facilitate living in D.C. and mm-hmm. the lifestyle I wanted to have. So when I was 21, I started bartending. Um, my first spot was at Bossa in Adams Morgan, right okay. next to Adams.
0: Yes. That's like a hot, hot salsa place. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I have friends who go there on the regular.
1: Yeah. I would make hundreds of cajareñas and mojitos a night. Oh, my God. Uh, sugar,
0: sugar, sugar.
1: Nonstop. Uh-huh. Shaking, shaking, shaking. Right. Uh, and then a lot of call drinks, not, not really cocktails beyond the caipirinis and mojitos that we were known for. Uh, I did that for a couple of years, and then I moved down 18th Street to, it was L'Enfant, which is now Lucky Buns.
0: Oh, right, but L'Enfant used to have La, La Boom. Oh, my God. So you went from party to bigger party.
1: I also unseed Laboom.
0: Oh my God. I, I bartended like and in your bio oh, yeah. and now I feel like we need to go down a total other rabbit hole.
1: That one I try to keep a little secret. Uh, but that was But a you lot. just let it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, if, if I wasn't performing on weekends, I was bartending.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so Laboom is where I started with cocktails. Okay, a bit. So
0: for people who don't know what Laboom is, can we just give them <laughs>
1: like? Laboom was a reservation only party. Um, it was a brunch party, uh, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. We had an 8, p- 8 a.m. and a 2 p.m., uh, so four-hour turnaround time, three-hour party. And it was the hottest thing on 18th Street for years. years. All the neighborhood locals knew about it, and it was really a neighborhood party. And
0: just to be clear, Lempont was, like, ha- so tiny. It was a little, like, French bistro
1: cafe yeah, but uh, I mean, right on the corner. space
0: like, you were smushing people in there. Oh, packed. And yeah. people just got wasted. Hammers- Right.
1: Hammered. There were games. Uh, We'd come at them with water guns for tequila, uh, dancing, all kinds of unmentionable. (laughs)
0: Somebody needs to bring back Laboo.
1: Oh, it's back.
0: Where is it?
1: Uh, Now it's, gosh, I don't know where they're holding it. It did go to Capital. Okay. um, But they upscaled it. And then they even tried to keep it going during the pandemic uh, with Laboo in a box. Mm. So they would send you, they would do it over Zoom and send you a box with champagne and a bunch of party things.
0: But they are back. I did not know that. Okay. I should know that. All right. It's not the same. No, of course not. (laughs) No, you can't, you know, they say you can't go home again. Yeah. sometimes I feel like you just, you can't recreate things all the time.
1: It was a time and a place.
0: Right. Exactly. Okay. So you did La Boom.
1: Did La Boom and L'Enfant for a while. Then, um, then across the street to their Italian concept, Red, White, and Basil.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I did that for maybe a summer. And okay. then up the street to bourbon, which is now Death Punch. Um, right.
0: and uh, But bourbon was, that's a real shift, I think. Big time. When you look at what you were doing from just like slinging cocktails, not really, slinging drinks.
1: Yeah, yeah. To
0: serving cocktails. Yeah. Right? A big shift. Was that something you wanted to do or like where at what point was your interest peaked?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think during my time um, at Long Fon, I was getting the spirits a little and like, you know, I was making my first decent cocktails, mm-hmm. um, reading a lot about it and out in the city drinking and just having good drinks and being like, wow, I, I want to do that. I want to make that. Um, and the owner of bourbon at the time, James Woods, was a friend of mine. Uh, so mm-hmm. I I lived maybe three doors down from it so that place was my living room. Mm-hmm. I was in there every night after work reading, chilling. My dog was in there all the time. Like,
0: okay. I lived
1: there. Uh and I basically just started working for him and that was where I picked up you know all the American classics um
0: cuz at Bourbon it was a real commitment yes. to the cocktail, right? Yeah. Like
1: I mean we do that was the first place I saw where, you know, We were juicing every day fresh before shift, Uh you know, prepping all of our herbs, shocking things, really putting some craft and commitment into it, Uh um, spending the time. And that was where I already loved drinking bourbon, but I hadn't put the time in to really learn about what I loved about it and Uh which kinds that I, that I, so what did you love about it? Oh God, (laughs) it's so good.
0: Um, (laughs) I, I know, mean, but if you of, weren't a bourbon drinker, yeah, you know people people just see brown liquor, yeah, right. So they see whiskey and bourbon, scotch. Like they think it's all the same thing. They just see brown liquor, and they're like, I don't like brown liquor.
1: It's comfort in a glass. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I think.
0: Okay. Let, I, let me talk you out of that. Yeah,
1: I think I think you know you have to find what you like. Everyone's palate is different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some people like a mash bill or like a corn heavy or a rye for Nashville... For me, something like Weller is just it's heaven in a glass. Like, mm-hmm. It's so delicious and warming, um, you know, something's a little too hot. You can put a couple drops of distilled water,
0: mm-hmm. bring out
1: the, the flavor profile. But I just really fell in love with the spirit.
0: Okay. And so did you go on a a deep dive of research? Did you start really educating yourself?
1: That's part of the program there. I mean, the bottle selection was absolutely massive. So you had to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. a bit. You had to spend some time. um, We offered several flights that you had to kind of talk about with Mm. your guests. Um, And people would, you know, if they're coming in and asking for a $100 glass, you better be able to have. have Yeah, you, you need to have more than just like this is brown juice. Germany, right. <laughs> <you know?
0: laughs> so then why leave?
1: Uh, it closed. I went down with the ship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, by the end, James was hemorrhaging money. I mean, it was oh, 2017 or 2018. Mm. Um, and people just weren't going there anymore. You know, it, it was really an awesome neighborhood spot for a while. But like, you know, so many other bars we know in the city, It had its time, and then Mm -hmm. it was done. And by the end, I mean, it just wasn't staff hanging around, and I was going to stay there and see it through.
0: Right. And so how did you wind up with the Wilder Brothers?
1: So after that, I took a couple of years off from the industry. Um, I was really, really doing a lot with the ballet. Um, Mm -hmm. By then, my tenure there was well established. Uh, If I wasn't performing, I was doing you know events with with donors that kind of stuff um mm-hmm. and really i just kind of want to take a break from the industry and focus on my ballet career um but oh man this is maybe 2020 just put you know post pandemic um yeah it was really towards the end of the pandemic in july
0: you said 2020 dude that, that is the pandemic
1: is it yes. yeah yeah
0: I know time has no <laughs> value. Um,
1: twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay,
0: but so how'd you wind up with
1: them? I ended up uh, in Chaplins. I I had a buddy of mine, Rob, who used to um, he used to work for RE at Chaplins and Zep, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted I expressed interest getting back in, and he was like, "This is the guy to talk to." Right. He's really cool. He's got great spots in Shaw, um, and he knows my voracious appetite for ramen. Mm-hmm. So, and
0: the ramen is that was made. a perfect
1: right. fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but at that
0: point, were you, because you're in chaplains, you moved to zeppelins, mm-hmm. and now you're at Kapo and zeppelins. Yeah. And Kapo and zeppelins are both Japanese inspired. Well, Kapo is totally Japanese. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but how did you develop a taste and knowledge about sort of Japanese spirits?
1: The time spent.
0: But, okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I drank some Japanese spirits before. I think mm-hmm. I, I had my first, um, my first bottle of Yamazaki when I was maybe 26 or so. Um, okay. And I enjoyed it. It wasn't my style of whiskey because I came from a bourbon background and that's mm-hmm. more, you know, malty. Um, but then after that, I found Nika Coffee Grain and that I think was, that's been a lot of American whiskey drinkers kind of passport to Japanese whiskey, just because the flavor profile is really friendly to Mm -hmm. an American palate. So then from there, I was like, this this isn't so bad. Maybe I'll, I'll check out some Japanese spirits and then the time at Chaplin's, Zeppelin, it, it, just like, um, at bourbon, you have to do the work and know what you're selling. Mm
0: -hmm. So... More of the same. Yeah, just Well, researching. and especially if we can give everybody a sort of a little, like... I've talked about Capo mm-hmm. on here. I mean, Zeppelin's is a great neighborhood sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's terrific. The sushi is amazing. The drink program is terrific. If I lived in Shaw, that would be my go-to. Like, right. I totally get the space. Um, and you do have a great cocktail program there. Um, but Capo is on another level yes. altogether. Um, it's just this little gem of a restaurant you know reservations well in advance how did you go about because zeppelin is not just japanese spirits no but what is it like at capo like can we talk about sort of how you put together the cocktail program at capo all
1: right i wanted to keep it to japanese spirits japanese spirits only um Uh i do carry a rye and a bourbon um and of course you know Two tequilas, a mezcal, a cognac, but everything else is Japanese. Um, and uh-huh. my entire program, with the exception of one drink, is Japanese spirit based. Uh, and that's in to to kind of honor, you know, what Kappa Makoto is. We want it to be authentic. We owe that to our guests. And I think there's so much you can do with Japanese spirit. People think Japanese spirit and they think whiskey, but right? Really, no. There's amazing, amazing Japanese gin, Um, you have shochu, you have sake, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Japanese rum that is outstanding.
0: Wow. All right. Well, let's go back a little bit and give everybody sort of, like you said this, like if you start with American brown liquor, Mm -hmm. let's just differentiate the difference between a bourbon, a whiskey, and... I guess just bourbon and whiskey. Scotch is just from Scotland, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, so... Right, so what's the difference between a bourbon and a whiskey?
1: Scotch and, and bourbon are both whiskeys. They belong okay. into the whiskey family. Um, but bourbon... What are they made of? Uh, it depends. So, you know, you have different grains. Uh, bourbon, for example, needs to be 51% corn mash. So mm-hmm. you have corn, but you can also have wheat. You can have rye. You can have barley. Um, Scotch is predominantly, I believe, barley. Uh, so it's really just regionality. I mean, you then using what, the what makes a
0: then what makes it bourbon? What's the difference? Uh,
1: so produced in Kentucky or Tennessee, aged a minimum. Um,
0: but is that also fifty one percent corn mash? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so it needs to be fit,
1: at least fifty one percent corn mash. For, for Kentucky bourbon. or Tennessee, and it's because of the limestone water aged okay. in new charred oak American barrels. Um, so it's it's bylaws that that kind of. Govern and dictate what classifies something as a straight bourbon versus uh, an American whiskey or like a mixed bourbon. You know. Okay,
0: that's fascinating. So yeah. it's really all the same thing. yeah it all starts with it's, the same it's, thing it's
1: it's it's uh, grain spirit and then right. it's getting its color from what it's aged in uh, the flavors okay. coming from what grains you're using.
0: Okay. so when you talk about people expanding their palate and moving to Japanese, Mm -hmm. spirits. I know they have other spirits other than their whiskeys, but it is the most popular. That was the big push initially, even more than sake, right? Like the whiskey was a huge push here in the United States. Yeah. So um, can we talk about how their whiskey is done? What are the tenets of of Japanese whiskey?
1: I mean, like everything else in Japan, perfection. Uh (laughs) Everything is done to perfection. Um, And that's a, a lot of it is done in more of a Scotch style. So okay. you have a, a lot of their whiskeys are, you know, pretty malty and fair amount are peaty as well, kind of. Uh, so are they like using
0: peat uh, like yeah. they do in Scotland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: yeah. Um, which is why when you're going for introducing an American whiskey drinker, which is like a sweeter palate um, mm-hmm. to Japanese, you kind of want to go for something that has... You know, either a honey profile, vanilla profile, something like toki might be a little too malty, not not quite uh, sweet enough. But that's why, I like the Nika coffee grain, beautifully mm-hmm. sweet. And then what I'm featuring today, Takamine. Okay. It is. So incredible.
0: beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, so you did bring, why don't we bring these over here? So yeah. you brought a bunch of spirits with you today. I assume all of these are at Capo, right? Yes. So what did you bring in? Tell me.
1: Uh, let's see. So this is from Fukuoka Prefecture. These are both from, uh, from Kagoshima. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, so this is Komasa Gin. Okay. This is made on a volcanic island, uh, from the world's smallest satsumas. Ooh. Uh, so it's one of three botanicals and it is, you have satsuma, coriander, juniper. That's it. Okay. And it is a beautiful gin. Uh, this is actually going into one of my new cocktails at Capo relatively soon. Okay.
0: Um,
1: and it's the spirit that I featured for Negroni week last week or last year at, uh, Zeppelin. It hmm. is gorgeous.
0: Okay. And what, what is it? Like, how did you find it? It sounds like it's so boutiquey. So yeah, how did you yeah, go yeah. out finding it and how do you get it here?
1: Um, so I found it through one of my liquor reps. Sound? Really? Yeah. Thank you. So Oops. through one of my liquor reps, um, Really, that's where you find a lot of a lot of the good stuff. Either that or being out and about. So
0: this does not have a strong smell. No, it's I mean it's delicate. It is, I
1: would say it's perfumed.
0: Yeah, it's floral, but it's there's a, no burn. You know how most times when you have a gin, yeah. and you smell it, you it burns your nose.
1: That's from either I think a lot of gins are. I'm
0: pouring myself. Well
1: over uh, botanicalized. There's too much stuff going on. Um, Thank you, Nikki. Of
0: course.
1: Um, and this chin is actually, like, you can drink this straight. This mm-hmm. is delightful. Um, it's very, very light on the palate. You're going to get all of that really sweet um, satsuma orange
0: mm. out of the front.
1: And these are actually, so a really cool thing about this, one of the reasons why the oranges are so sweet, the satsumas are so sweet, is because it is an active volcano. So there's ash constantly pouring down. Mm. So they have developed really, really, really thick Thick skins. Right. Yeah.
0: Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, it makes me think of, like, I love wines from Mount Etna, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. It's not active, but that, um, you know, a really good Mount Etna red will have, like, an ashy aftertaste. And there's something about that. And I'm like, this is... So good. I have know?
1: two Mount Etna wines at Zeppelin. And no? I agree. Yeah. It's and delightful.
0: Yeah. They're amazing wines. Frank Kroll is the first one who poured me one like 12 years ago. Yeah. And he was like, I think you guys are going to like this. And then it's become like our favorite wine. Yeah. We just love it. So there are a lot of orange notes in there. Yeah.
1: I mean, I really think that everything... <laughs> Everything on that nose, there is a touch of coriander, Mm -hmm. but everything on that nose is the satsumas. And that predominant flavor that you're getting is the satsuma. That's why it was so good in the the, uh, Negroni that I did. Okay, Um,
0: because it pulled on those orange flavors. So, like, let's talk about mixing this because this does have an incredible flavor profile. And it mm -hmm. almost seems a shame to cover it with anything Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean so how do you go about putting together a cocktail that allows the spirit to shine
1: Um, so a couple of ways uh, I have a rule with cocktails Um, for any bartenders I'm helping develop anything or
0: Mm -hmm.
1: just for myself no more than five things that's it okay Uh, and even five is kind of pushing it I like to keep the story simple right you're trying to tell a story you're trying to say something um, and if you put too many things in it, it's going to be jumbled and muddled and kind of indirect. Uh, another way is I messed with the the build. I mean, uh, standard Negroni is it's it one, is to one, one, one to one to one, one. Right. Yeah.
0: That's my problem, really, with a Negroni. <laughs>
1: really. Because
0: I find um, they can be really, really syrupy because of the um, the Campari. Campari. Yeah. And it's so like. I know it's bitter, but the bitterness doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's the sugar, the sweetness. I'm like, I don't, the viscosity of it is unappealing. Yeah. Personally.
1: You could have them stir it a bit longer mm. or, or cut back. Cut but, um, for for the, I call it the orange dog Negroni.
0: Okay. I um, see why.
1: And well, it's also the biggest predator to these satsumas is a caterpillar called the orange dog. Oh, no kidding.
0: So, oh, isn't that funny? That's, uh,
1: that's why I chose it. But I did an ounce and a half of the Comasa Gin, mm. and then changed it up, 7-5 Aperol, to help play with the orange here. Mm-hmm. And then Montenegro, instead of sweet vermouth, Montenegro for its floral qualities. Sure. Yeah. That makes a and lot of sense. And it, sounds it, it delightful.
0: was delightful. It's so It was that
1: all of the spirits worked in harmony to tell the same singular story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was simple and beautiful. It sounds <laughs> And I just, I really love the spirit.
0: Okay, so how is it featured now? Are you using it now?
1: So at Zeppelin, I do a fair amount. I'd I'd say at this point, half of my cocktails that I make are, um, you know, customs. Like when I'm there, my regulars know I'm there. And it's a lot of, all right, Corey, what are we doing today?
0: Right? So you're making a lot of things on the fly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I have to be honest, because I'm not... classic cocktail drinker Mm. like you came in studio you poured us drinks i loved all of that Mm. but i when i go out and i look at a menu a cocktail menu i'm completely overwhelmed it's overwhelming i know i know more about what i don't like than what i do like and i look at a cocktail menu and to me my head goes to sugar i'm like i don't want anything sweet i like brown liquor but so much brown liquor is has a, a lot of sweet sweetness to it. Yeah, and I just don't want that, you know. And I like gin, but and I feel like everybody wants to make things sweet. There's always like juice in it, or like, I'm like, I don't really want any of that. Do you know what I mean? Which is why I wind up drinking wine. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I'm a better boy. I, okay. I, I love my better drinks. Okay, uh, I think the first. Cocktails I really fell in love with were the Negroni and the Boulevardier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think there's way too much sugar being used in everyone's cocktail programs right. right now, unless you have, you know, some of the really talented people that are doing stuff really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Will Patton, you know. Sure. Um, but yeah, I agree. Sugar's I, I much prefer sour. I much prefer bitter.
0: Yeah, I'm more bitter. Or actually, I love a little spice. Yeah. You know, I love yeah. like a peppery note to something. Yeah. I think that's so like unexpected and yummy. Yeah. It tastes so good. The
1: cocktails I made for you guys when you, uh, yes, when you came in. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, uh, the spirit that you get the spice from there. Um, Chacho, it's a barrel aged aguardiente uh, aged with jalapenos. Yes.
0: I, I used... have them on Foodie and Beats.
1: Yeah. Yeah. they are the Outstanding. Um, actually, as soon as I saw that, that product, I knew I needed to put that on menu, um, uh, at Capo because I saw it when it was, I was in my R and D process for Capo mm-hmm. and that's how the Calor Com Leche came about. Early. Cool.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's move on from Jen. Okay. What is the next thing you brought It.
1: The next is Mugi Hoka. This is a, uh, basically a toasted barley shochu.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you have a 17 day fermentation, which is pretty long, uh, and five years aging in ceramic casks. This is a shochu that you, I you. think has a, pretty unique flavor profile you you almost get like dark chocolate notes um toasted cereal grains like cheerios can
0: we give people who people who are not familiar with soju can we talk about what's in soju how it differs from sake and and why you would want to drink soju
1: so you have I guess a good distinction, tying back to the bourbon and whiskey, um, like soju is Korean. Mm-hmm. Soju is only made with rice, shochu mm-hmm. is Japanese that can be made with rice, uh, sweet mm-hmm. potatoes actually very common. Like I've got some great sweet potato um, shochus at okay. Um, or barley in this case. Um, and again, it's just a, it's a distilled grain spirit. Um, and what you'll find on this is it almost smells like Cheerios, right? <laughs> but in a, in a good way. Right. Um, and it's, yeah,
0: it's malty. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's got these
1: roasty, toasty notes. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I had this, I was like, this is going to be in my two-to-one martini at Capo.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. So,
0: so do you get a lot of... So when you say two-to-one martini, yeah. you're using this in place of gin or vodka, correct? No, you're using this instead of vermouth.
1: vermouth. <gasps> yeah. Oh. So I'm doing uh, two ounces of uh, Roku gin, okay, which is a six botanical, pretty dry style uh, Japanese gin mm-hmm. to one part this. And I finish it with shiso bitters and a uh, shiso blossom oh. as a garnish, which is it, they're beautiful. It's like if you ever had a basil plant and let it go to... No, a, no, shiso
0: leaves. Yeah. Are my like I'm always disappointed when I go for sushi and there's like one shiso leaf as mm-hmm. you know like decor, mm-hmm. I love to wrap the fish. Yeah. In the shiso it's leaf. delicious. Oh my god, it's so herbaceous. Yeah. It's like what basil should taste like, honestly. Yeah like that's how I feel I about agree. it. Like especially the texture. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge shiso man. So yeah. but so I love what that you're pairing this. But so when people come in and you say that. What's the, um,
1: what's the reaction? Um, p- uh, at, by the end of it, people always love it. Okay. They, they generally love this they martini. But yeah, I mean, for some people hearing two to one is, uh, it's a deal breaker because I mean, uh, the martini, Martinez martini has gone through a wide, 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 um, spectrum of hey, phases, and it's you not know. two to
0: one it's like a, a hint of vermouth,
1: now i mean now sort, it's an in and out
0: right people
1: don't really like martinis they like hyper chilled gin or hyper chilled vodka like that's uh, if you're just doing if you're not using any vermouth it's not a it's not a martini to me like the the component of the aromatized wine is what makes it a martini and so you had people, it was originally two to one, and then, you know, it would go to like four to one, six to one, in and outs.
0: Right. Uh,
1: But people call for an extra dry, and you're like, okay, how much vermouth would you like? None. Right away with your chilled vodka. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm fascinated by that, because to me, I don't know how somebody just drinks like chilled vodka. Yeah, no. Like... It's not that good. I mean even a good vodka and listen, this gin is delicious, but I want an ice cube in it. Do you know what I mean? I want it on the rocks. I could let that I could sit with that Mm -hmm. for a while. But it to me it's not like having a glass of wine. Do you know what I mean? So Uh, I'm fascinated by that. But so when you introduce this martini, where people are like, Oh, all right, dude, I see where you're going with this. Yeah,
1: I think so. I mean, this is a very I think different twist spin on the martini to my knowledge no one has done a two-to-one with gin and shochu right um, so it's pretty unique and honestly it's my most self-indulgent cocktail on the menu like this is the martini i want to drink okay so i made it and uh, it's delightful i have it um i have it diluted to an exact 21 percent mm-hmm. because 20 was too dry 22 was okay too diluted so when you're
0: talking about the percentage is that based on the gin you're using by volume
1: okay so i i you know do a large batch of it um mm-hmm. measure out the gin the shochu the amount of water um uh, and then it goes in the freezer and i keep it super chilled uh of course it doesn't freeze but right i keep it as cold as possible because that's how a martini should be served right um and then i pour out the measured amount garnish it with the shiso bitters and the shiso blossom and it's ready it's good to go it's just good to go but, but it's,
0: Perfect. Now, let me just ask one question. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but when it comes to gins, especially gin drinkers with Mm -hmm. their martinis or gin in general, there's a big difference between London Dry Mm -hmm. and Plymouth. And I have a friend who um, is a specific gin drinker Mm -hmm. and everybody tries to get him to drink. They're like, oh, you should try this gin. And I'm always like, you're not going to like it. Yeah, yeah. So what is the difference between the two and how does this particular, like where, I don't understand it. So where and, does this particular gen fall?
1: Uh, to put it simply, your London dries are juniper forward. Mm-hmm. That's going to be your main botanical. And then uh, instead of,
0: instead of like a London
1: and saying like Plymouth, I would say like something like Hendrix, which is a very botanical, Okay. Um and I would call this a, a botanical gin. Okay. You know, it does contain juniper. Um but the predominant note is is the satsumas. So it's whether you're It's fruity. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know rather than just that bracing juniper, which has a place mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But that's not my style of gin.
0: Okay. I got it. All right. What's the last thing you're pouring me?
1: The last one. Ooh. Takamine eight. Okay. This is my favorite whiskey. Mm -hmm. Of all time?
0: Period? Uh, End of story?
1: My favorite whiskey I can get regularly. Okay. Uh, I would say my favorite is Eagle Rare 17-year. Okay. Um, But that's become almost impossible to get.
0: So Uh, tell me about this. Where is it from?
1: So this Mm. is actually the first Japanese whiskey, Mm -hmm. and it was made in Peoria, Illinois. By Jokichi Takamine, mm-hmm. um, 1894, which I believe is the year that the godfather of Nikka whiskey was born. Okay. so there is contention about this, but technically, this is the first Japanese whiskey, and it was wait even ever.
0: A, yeah. Okay, so I was going to ask, <laughs> like, at what point did whiskey start being made in Japan? Because whiskey people,
1: I think, credit it to Nika, but okay, that's because this story was. Kind of lost and forgotten. Mm. So, Jokichi Takamine was a brilliant chemist. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the first person to synthesize adrenaline. So, that EpiPen.
0: That's
1: that's him. That's him. And uh, the crazy thing is, he figured out how to inoculate barley with koji bacteria, the same uh, bacterium used to ferment sake. Okay. So, he wasn't malting his barley. He inoculated it with koji, which is where you get, there's this sweet, yeah, floral nose on it, in the back end I think has a touch of funk. This is as American as bourbon, and as Japanese as as you know any other Japanese whiskey. I think it it has this awesome dichotomy.
0: So the sweetness is not from the barrel or the char.
1: You're you're getting it from the barrel, but I think a lot of it's attributed to Zukoji.
0: Okay, so is this still made in America?
1: So basically, uh, his distillery was burned down. In the early 1900s, mm-hmm. um, because American whiskey makers were worried that this was going to change everything about American whiskey. Koji production was a lot cheaper mm-hmm. to do, and they didn't want the competition, especially from, you know, someone who wasn't a national. Right. So burned down his distillery, sent him packing. He went back to Japan.
0: That is so terrible. <laughs> I can't even believe... I mean, obviously I believe it because that's yeah. what this country is like, but it's unbelievable. Yeah,
1: and this story was lost to history for a very long time. Mm. Um, but he came back as a Goodwill Ambassador. He's actually responsible for the cherry blossoms in D.C. Really? Yeah.
0: So then who brought back the whiskey? Uh,
1: his family. His okay. family did. I I want to say this came on market only a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been hearing about it. Okay. Um, but one of my reps, the same rep who brought me Mugi Hoka. Mm-hmm. She showed me this, and I fell in love with it immediately. I, I will argue that this makes the best old-fashioned.
0: Why? All right, let's talk about old-fashioned.
1: The flavor profile. I mean... Mm. You have these beautiful caramelized burnt sugars. Right. Uh, there is vanilla. There is... This, this dark roasted caramel, and then this weird floral component that does not exist in American whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that in combination with some bitters, sugar, you're set. You're good to go. Okay, but
0: so let's talk about old-fashioned. So yeah. what's in a classic old-fashioned?
1: Uh, if I'm at home, I'm doing it with a Demerara cube
0: mm-hmm. and
1: Ango bitters, two dashes Ango, one dash orange. Muddle it up with just enough water so that it, it kind of dissolves. And then two ounces of bourbon and a big old cube. And that's it? That's it. Okay. Um, in bars, you see them made with simple syrup. Uh, I tend, if I'm doing it at a bar... That's
0: probably why... It's too sweet. I don't like it. Yeah.
1: So for, for mine at um, at Capo, I use so mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: just because I think it has this... It's not a saccharin. It has a, a richer backbone. Like it is still just as sweet, but it has this depth and richness to it that I think is missed mm-hmm. when it's just standard simple. Um, and really you should be using no more than a quarter ounce. Okay. That's it. And then you've got the terrible monstrosities of old fashions that are when people muddle oranges and cherries and all of that awful stuff. Right. It just has no place in old fashioned, but. Thankfully, that's been left to you know other regions or left in the 80s.
0: Okay, which is good. <laughs> yeah. But now, but when I was at Campo, yeah. you did a fat washed, a Wagyu fat washed, old fashioned. Yeah. So what's the addition of fat? What is the point of that? I mean, the cocktail was amazing, yeah. Yeah. and it's like I said, it's not. I don't normally order old fashions, but yeah. I loved what it did to the drink but i don't know what it did so can you explain it to me uh
1: yeah so essentially fat washing is when you effectively wash the liquor with a fat uh basically so you're soul. washing the
0: liquor not the glass
1: no the liquor. okay yeah because so, you don't want to you don't want to have fat in the cocktail itself okay unless that is your intention but uh that was not for this. Um, so basically we had all of this extra wagyu fat trimmings sure. at the restaurant and um, along with me, you know, one of my tenets of bartending is like fewer ingredients. Uh, another one is less waste. And so all of this beautiful fat, so mm-hmm. I asked if I could have it um, and I rendered it down, filtered it out. I bring the whiskey up to temp in bottle um, in a sous vide, just so that once the fat hits it, it doesn't solidify. Sure. Once you need it to remain liquid. And then for about an hour, I use a whisk every three minutes to wash it until it's almost foamed. Um, So you're effectively getting as much contact with the whiskey and fat as possible. Okay. Uh, Then you pop that into the freezer. The fat becomes a solid raft. Mm -hmm. Pull that off, and then you filter the whiskey through, and then that is your
0: fat-washed whiskey. Okay. So, But what does it add to the whiskey? Texture... Um, a certain it viscosity. Like it, it feels like it... Sweetness. I See, to me, it feels like it clarifies it. It makes it like... I feel like the fat sort of get pulls out um, stuff. Because I don't find that cocktail really sweet.
1: Yeah, because I'm not using sugar. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the tiniest bit of Demerara in it, but because the Wagyu fat is so sweet and nutty mm-hmm. itself, I don't need to add... Sugar, sugar, yeah. I use I use by volume uh, ten percent of the demerara, which is really not a lot at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also pre-dilute that goes to fifteen percent or so. Mm. Um, So there just really isn't a lot of sugar in it. It's not necessary. You have this rich, nutty sweetness that the fat imparts. Mm -hmm. So, and that's that's kind of the point of fat washing it. Gives flavor, it gives texture and viscosity. Um, people do olive oil fat washing. I was gonna say, delightful. It is,
0: and yeah. you're seeing it a lot, like yeah. especially in middle um, Mediterranean restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, with some sitar yeah. you know, put in there. Um, it is really delicious, yeah. and it does add something. It's an um, an umami, really, mm-hmm. to a cocktail that you're not used yeah. to, right? Yeah, and
1: that's the thing. That's the, that's kind of exactly it. A lot of people don't expect or want, think they want salt in a cocktail, but oh, right. it's just like cooking. That's that's right. kind of why I got into this. I, I started cooking when I was a very young man. I moved out of home when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And so I have always loved cooking, and that's a balance game. That just applied to making cocktails for me. That
0: makes sense. Yeah. Right. I mean, yes, what salt can do for a dish is unbelievable. A little bit of MSG and a martini. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about what's next. Like, what comes up? How often are you changing these menus? Like, how often are you doing things? And you also mentioned something that I don't know. If you're not in the industry, Mm. you're batching your cocktails. Yeah. So why?
1: There is absolutely no way to keep up with the volume without it. Um,
0: Even in a 30-seat restaurant?
1: Wow. I mean, we... If I were to do it by hand, a uh, two-drink order for the for the cocktails that I have at Capo, I don't know. You're probably waiting at least four minutes, which to me is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I really only have two drinks that I build in glass there. The mm-hmm. rest are batched. Um, it's So it's the time. It's also consistency. Mm-hmm. I want to ensure that if I'm making it or if one of the other staff members is making it, it is the same exact product. Sure. Um, and, you know, I can only really get that oversight if I'm the one building the batch, Mm -hmm. making it, knowing exactly when it was made, how, everything. So it's kind of, it's a control thing, um, but in a, in a good way. And honestly, we do that at Zeppelin as well, just because the you know the volume. Well, the volume yeah. at Zeppelin is...
0: Like, yeah. at Zeppelin, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if people really understand the batching process and mm-hmm. understand why it can be so successful.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, basically, you you upscale your build. Um, mm-hmm. So if you've got a, a drink that is two ounces of spirit, an ounce of sour, a uh, quarter ounce or three quarters ounce of, of sugar... You're scaling that up and building it in Cambrose, uh, big 20-liter containers. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, I think you want to keep juice components out of a batch unless that batch is going to move in the next Really three, fast, right? Three days, yeah. But you could
0: yeah. add that yeah. in the end, So that's, right?
1: I mean, that's what I do at Capo. Uh, I batch my spirits, sweeteners, um, and then I add juice mm-hmm. uh, at the end, and we shake or stir. Okay. And I think that's the best way to have the freshest, freshest product while also maintaining, you know, that consistency and speed.
0: Okay. And one last question that you mentioned, you talked about a big cube of ice. Ice has become yeah. so important mm-hmm. in cocktails. Um, do you guys have an ice service? Do you yeah. make your own ice? How mm-hmm. does that work?
1: Um, so there are a couple of big companies that make ice uh, in DC. We use mm-hmm. Millie, mm-hmm. Ice Queen. Everyone knows her. Right. Um, and it's because she is the best, you know, she's got the space to do it and she's pretty reliable. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of guests don't really realize how important ice is right. to a cocktail. Right. But when someone gets a glass with this beautiful clear sphere or sphere or cube and they see like, Oh my God, look at that ice. It's gorgeous. Right. And then it kind of clicks. But yeah. Well, also, they try to do
0: it at home, right? Yeah, like, you're not, you can't make a clear sphere. You can. You, it's, it, unless it, it takes
1: an igloo, and right. you have to do it the right way, and then you're going to have to cut off what's not clear. But right. It's a pain, and the yield is not worth the time for most people. Right. But it's it's really important to achieve the correct dilution and temperature mm-hmm. and aesthetically, like, what you're going for. Sure.
0: But I just don't know if – I mean, I think if you said to somebody – 20 years ago mm-hmm. um yeah we're you know ordering an ice in a variety of shapes because of the effects yeah, yeah. on the cocktail i think you'd get a couple eyebrows oh, yeah. if, raised hey, right
1: we told a bar manager 20 years ago we were paying you know sometimes upward of a dollar a cube sure for these big rocks they would blow their lid exactly uh, but i mean aesthetics have really become a big part of, especially with the Instagram age, you know, right. everything being social media, the phone eats first. Aesthetics really matter in the drink game now. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, you know, what it's made from, how it's made, how it tastes. It's got to look good too. It's got to look
0: good too. Yeah. Um, all right. So what's up next?
1: Uh, next up, I am, I guess first would be Capo. Um, we are doing, you know, seasonal menus. Mm-hmm. So, I will pull some of the. We opened in March, so I'll pull some of the more spring, summer-focused um, cocktails, and get going into fall cocktails. Um, I've already started in my, you know, my little black book of mm-hmm. ingredients, um, and I, I'm just gonna start R and Ding, replace a couple of the drinks. Um, that's that's the that's what's happening. Thing, yeah. But is there
0: any flavor profiles? that speak to sort of Japan in the winter or that you're thinking makes sense for capo in the winter? Like I heard you say, you know, like products made out of sweet potato, things of yeah, that nature. Yeah. Um,
1: so right now my next big thing is going to be a pumpkin cocktail. Okay. Um,
0: but no spice, right? No, ma'am. I mean, no judgment. Uh, but no. A little bit of judgment. So
1: I'm planning to roast uh, pumpkin like you would with squash or sweet potato mm-hmm. um, and basically make a syrup from that. Um, I will squish down what's left after, uh, dehydrate that and use that as like a chip for garnish. Oh, cool. And then roast the seeds and make an orgeat from that. Mm-hmm. So, gonna use the whole thing, hopefully. Right. Uh, so there's less waste. Um, I don't want to disclose the spirit or flavor profile too much, but I, I'm planning on a very fall cocktail. Um, and hopefully I, I will probably bring the orgeat from capo to zeppelin um release a couple fall cocktails there as well
0: oh okay all right well i really appreciate you joining me today yeah, of course. tell um, everybody where they can find you shaking your thing um uh both on instagram and uh in the restaurant
1: yes yeah, so corey j landolt c-o-r-e-y j-l-a-n-d-o-l-t
0: mm-hmm.
1: on instagram twitter um You can find me at Zeppelin Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, Mm -hmm. and at Kappa Makoto Wednesdays and
0: Saturdays. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me and bringing all these delicious things. Um, And I want to thank you all for joining us today. Um, Such a delicious show. So many new things for you, obviously, to try and places to go. Um, Follow me at n y c c i n e l l i s on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter threads and don't forget you should subscribe to youtube to watch this show industry night so you can see all the delicious things that we're tasting here today i want to thank my guest Corey for joining me today and thank you as well everybody be safe out there and have a delicious week Produced by HeartCast Media.